So uh, this morning I've titled this message, uh, The Two Faces of Grace. Uh, when I talk about the two faces of grace, I'm talking about uh, the idea that there is a, a grace for salvation, but even more, there's a grace for every day. It's interesting, though, because you look at this grace for salvation idea and, you know, we think that it's old news. It, we, we think that it's old hat. Uh, you would think that as someone growing up in church like you or me, uh, that we would have a really solid handle on the idea that we are simply saved as a free gift, that we're saved by grace. Um, but that's not the case. Uh, a recent survey just came out uh, this past month in Christianity Today. And here's what it, it said. Uh, it was actually reporting on Lifeway. Many of you know the Lifeway stores, the Lifeway Christian stores. And um, it's a Baptist organization, Southern Baptist, that puts out all kinds of great books and literature, and they have stores nationwide. Well, they conducted a survey, uh, and as they surveyed these folks, uh, these were self-proclaimed evangelical Christians. Uh, so that means that they were likely frequent churchgoers. Uh, they would uh, regard themselves as being an evangelical, that means gospel-focused Christian. And 56% of them, now get this, this is more than half of evangelical Christians said that they agreed, that they agreed with the statement that people must contribute their own effort for personal salvation. Now, isn't that scary? Does that not freak you out? I mean, uh, you know, I knew it was bad, but I didn't know it was this bad. And so it just causes us, I think, as a, as a church today, it causes us to really reflect on what message are we giving uh, in the midst of our church walls. We can uh, focus on programs and we can have great uh, uh, light shows and we can have uh, smoke on stage and we can have horses coming down the aisles and we can have a series called 24 in church based on the Jack Bauer story. We can go on and on entertaining people, but what is the message that people are walking away with? And apparently, more than half of the people out there are walking away with very, very little to go on in any eternal sense. And so, it's sad, it's a bit sick, because it makes you think, well, what are we doing? What are they being told? And you can see then all the more the, the importance of stressing the two faces of grace. Grace for salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 says, It is by grace that you are saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a free gift of God. So that nobody can brag about it. So that no one can boast. So we hear these passages you know, since we're this high, and I wonder what happens to us. I mean, we hear the Bible verses, we memorize them, we might even hear great sermons about grace. What happens to us? You know, I think ultimately, as I reflect on it, I think that most human beings, we suffer from a, a syndrome. And the syndrome that we suffer from is that we live out of our emotions. We live with our emotions as the barometer. And so... If I don't feel saved, if I don't feel okay, then I'm going to do something to get myself to feel better. And this doesn't just hold for salvation itself, 
but it actually holds, I believe, for the presence and the power of Jesus Christ in your life. And we're going to talk about what I mean by that. But first, let's talk about this salvation thing. Basically, we're seeing an urgent wake-up call for pastors, for leaders nationwide to realize that a majority of churchgoers are not, not feasting on the solid food of God's grace. So what are they getting? Well, they're getting what you might call a hybrid. They're getting a mixture. Uh, I thought, maybe many of us thought, that they were getting a mixture of, you know, grace for salvation, but then works for daily living through human effort. But apparently it's worse than that. It's not just a mixture, mixture of grace for salvation and then human effort later. It's human effort from the start. People are still, even 2,000 years later, holding Galatians and holding Romans in their hand. And they're still trying to get right and stay right with God through what they do. And it's a joke. I mean, you look at... Um, you look at Hebrews 11. I love Hebrews 11 because it's, um, you know, it's full of amazing stories. I mean, when I read uh, Hebrews 11 to Gavin recently, uh, he was pretty shocked. He was shocked that there were people mentioned in there that were sawn in two. Uh, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, living in caves, totally dedicated, totally committed as prophets, as people of God. They were totally committed and yet it says they did not receive what was promised and that we have something better than they got. And so what I'm trying to say is, man, if this thing is by works, they've got you beat by a mile. If this thing is by dedication and commitment, uh, they were committed to the end. They were committed to being sawn in half. How far have you gone in your so-called commitment and dedication to make this thing work? So what if it's not about you? What if it's not about how much you're able to crank out and how much you're able to do for the God of the universe? What if it's not about you and what you're doing? What if it's about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you freely as a gift how will he who didn't spare his son, get this now, how will he who didn't spare his son on that cross, how will he not freely give us all things? Do you see that he has already given you the greatest gift that you could ever have and it's totally free so that nobody can run around talking about what they're doing for God? What a joke. We're not doing for God. We're only laboring and striving according to the power that works within us. We're only doing what he has already prepared in advance that we might walk in. And so when we look at this issue, you say, what are people missing? Well, you could say they're missing everything. <laughs> the 56%. I mean, they're missing everything. They're missing the big picture. What's the big picture? Well, here... In a simple diagram, we encapsulate it. They're missing the fact that in the new covenant, we are enveloped, we're sealed, we're secure in a safe place right there wrapped up in the middle between God and God. And this is what the Bible calls the new covenant. The new covenant is God looking over at God. 
The new covenant is God promising God that, that Jesus Christ will be your priest forever. In Hebrews, it says in chapter 9, it says, Therefore, he is able to save you completely because he always lives as the security for this whole negotiation. So God negotiated with God. He had already seen the best that the Hebrews 11 heroes could offer. He had already seen the best efforts of all of humanity. And he looked on it with a chuckle. And then he says, because their deeds are like filthy rags and because they can't secure anything and because they can't uh, fasten any covenant together for themselves, I will place it together. I will piece it together in a promise that I make to myself. Because I can swear by no one greater, I'll swear by myself. And because of this oath, we have a better covenant today. But people don't know this. I mean, you can sit in church for a decade, maybe two, and never hear a message on what the new covenant is. You will hear all about the idea that God is love Well, that sounds great, but lots of people from many religions believe that God is loving. It's nebulous. You're scratching the ceiling of heaven wondering, show me your love and how do I feel your love and how do I experience your love and where is your love? Because I look at my circumstances and they don't spell love. Have you ever noticed that your circumstances don't spell love very well? Planet Earth is horrible At spelling love. And so where do we go? Well, we go to Jesus, but how do we go to Jesus? Well, we go to him as high priest. Okay, but high priest of what? High priest of a new way. He's the doorway, but the doorposts say new covenant. And we enter through this new way, this promise that God makes to God. And when we get in and we're on the other side of the door... It's still all about him. But we got people, human beings, just like us, and we are people who want to live out of our emotions. And so we assess whether we feel holy, see, and whether we feel right with God, and whether we feel righteous. You know, righteousness is not a feeling. Righteousness is a fact. Righteousness is a gift. You were never promised. Church, we were never promised to feel righteous. You might feel righteous when guys are up here and they're leading the songs for 28 minutes. And, you know, you get that nice warm feeling inside about God and about you. And you let off enough verbiage to where you got your emotions feeling right. The problem is, two hours later, you're having an argument in the car The kids are freaking out in the back seat. Now you're not feeling so righteous, are you? So what are you going to do? At that point, you've got a decision. You're either going to do something to feel more righteous, or you're going to go back to believing something. Do you see it's do or believe? Now let's look at grace for every day. Maybe you're solid. I mean, maybe you've got this down, this whole idea that you're saved by grace. 
I mean, that is old hat for you. You realize that it's all about the cross and the resurrection and the blood and and the life of Jesus Christ being given to you. You realize it can't be about you. God's not grading on a curve. If it's about you, you're in trouble. So you've bailed on that whole idea and you understand that it's about Jesus and nothing else. Still, though, I mean, come on, right? We're human and we're these emotional creatures and we struggle. And here's what we struggle with. You know, now I guess I'm, I, I guess I'm talking to the 44% now, right? I mean, I'm talking to the 44% who understand about salvation. But still, we, we struggle with wanting to feel the presence of God. Hear me out now. I mean, we've got pastors, leaders, authors, Christian figures out there. And man... They talk about what they feel. They talk about what God told them yesterday. God, why don't you tell me anything yesterday? You told him something yesterday. You spoke to him. Where are you? And so we wonder what it is to live the Christian life and and how do we measure it? And are we feeling it? Are we experiencing it? Christ in me, Christ through me. What does it feel like? Am I there? I don't think I'm there. How do I get there? And so then we wonder, we might just wonder if there's certain things we need to do. See, not believe, but do in order to experience it. Right? Two very dangerous words in Christianity. Experience and it. Yeah. People run around talking about the Holy Spirit like he's an it. Are you experiencing it? Are you? Let me tell you how you can experience it. And so then we have this lofty standard of what other people are experiencing and how other people are feeling and what victory must feel like. Right? Say it with me. Victory. Yeah. Doesn't that sound ominous? Yeah. Don't ever say that again. But grace for every day. I mean... Let me just try this on. It's a thought I've been pondering a while now. If you believe that you should be able to feel. Now, this means that you believe you have the right to feel. That you should be able to feel the presence and power of Jesus in your life. Then you'll inevitably move on to suppose what that experience should feel like. Okay? Follow me now. You've decided that Christianity is about feeling the abundant life. I'm going to feel it. Then you've got it automatically. You've got a picture of what that should feel like. Now, are you feeling it? (laughs) Mm, I wish. So then you'll conclude that you must not be experiencing the presence or the power of Christ very much because the expected feelings aren't there. Are you tracking with me? In fact, you might just be human and you might have all kinds of empty or negative feelings going on. And you're saying, Christ, you promised me an abundant life. How come I don't feel it? Now, don't forget that your new birth in Jesus and your righteousness are a plain reality and a truth, not an emotion. So what if your new birth? What if your new birth just feels 
like you being you? And what if righteousness is just your new everyday way? In other words, the truth is that you as a child of God, the Bible talks about you and Jesus and Jesus in you. This is the new normal. This is new covenant normal. It doesn't have to feel different than what you're feeling. Did you hear what I said? Otherwise, if you believe that it has to feel different than what you're feeling, you are going to go shopping for new feelings. And guess where you are going to go for new feelings? People shop down the aisles of religion to get new feelings. Jesus never promised that we would feel great all the time. What he wants us to do is not... Not go out and try to perform to feel. He wants us to believe. What I'm asking us to consider believing today is that the salvation is totally free, and we know that. But the experience of God's presence, not when I say experience, I'm not talking about a feeling with your eyes glossed over and a buzz, buzzy, buzzy feeling inside. I am talking about the fact that you are joined to Christ and that it's not a competition between you and him, that you're one, and that you don't need to go out and find him. Someone posted recently online that, you know, grace was a bad teaching because it it prevents people from hungering and thirsting for more. You know, Jesus said that if you're acquainted with him, you won't hunger and thirst for more. The whole point is you don't have to go down aisle 7, and then aisle 8, and then aisle 9. The whole point is you don't have to be duped by someone that says, look what I'm experiencing, it's more than you, and come experience what I'm feeling. There are many saints throughout history whose feelings were, were quite, quite horrible. Their experience on planet Earth was quite awful. They could hardly endure. God has not promised us easy living and cushy circumstances here on the planet. Instead, he's told us that it's him in us no matter what we feel. What if him in you is not a feeling? Do you know that he lives in your spirit, not in your emotions? Jesus said, those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. That's why, man, my emotions can go wacko and I can freak out. And even though I'm freaking out, I can go back to a fact. Because, see, I've got a will. God created me this way. God created me to not live out of my emotions, but allow emotions to be a responder to what I choose to think. I've got a chooser. You've got a chooser. And so God is is allowing us on a journey. It's a blind journey. Admittedly, it is a blind journey. Do you know that? I mean, the Bible talks about how we, we can't see the invisible. But just because it's invisible doesn't mean that it's not very, very real. And so people say, okay, I'm fine with not seeing, but I need to feel Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's a place for feelings. We are feeling creatures. Some days we feel awesome things about God. But let's be honest, here's our feelings, right? 
So this can't be my experience. Is this the abundant life? If we're graphing this, does this look like life to the fullest to you? When I'm down in the valleys of emotion, does this look like the life that Christ wants for me to just follow this roller coaster wherever it takes me? No, there's another way. There's another way. And God is not sitting there saying, what are you feeling? I need you to feel better. I need you to feel victorious. I need you to feel abundant. He's not sitting there asking you to feel something. You know, the Bible doesn't tell you to feel something. The Bible tells you to believe something. The Bible tells us to believe in someone. So, I don't know. I mean, we go back to the two faces of grace and you say, what are you going to tell these people? The... The 56%, what are you going to tell them? Man, you might feel like every religion in the world has good to offer. You might feel like their religious principles are kind of on the right road. But that's just a feeling. Like you're just judging things based on a human feeling that's tied into morality and ethics. But morality and ethics is what got Adam and Eve in trouble in the garden. They were trying to be more ethical. Do you know that? They were trying to be like God. They were going to eat and then they were going to see good from evil so that they could do evil. No, they wanted to do good. They wanted to avoid evil, do good and be like God and be moral and be ethical so that they could feel better about themselves and feel full. And then they ended up feeling awful. They were clothed in skins and they spent the rest of their days wondering what's happened. So if we don't watch it, this 56% is in the same boat. We're thinking it's about us and cleaning up and good and evil and doing better and trying to be like God. And the new covenant says, no, no, it's about a new birth and a free gift. And I make you like me. At your core, you are like me as a gift. I want you to believe in the invisible. I want you to believe that your nature was ripped out and that you were given a new nature. I want you to believe that I cleaned house and moved in. I want you to believe that at the core, you are like me. Even in this world, you are like me. Because if you don't believe that you're like me, guess what you're going to do? You're going to live your whole life trying to be like me. Trying to get to be to a place where you're like me. And if you're on that train, well, it's almost as bad as being over here with the 56%. Oh, maybe you know you're saved, but you're trying to get like Jesus, get like Jesus. Getting like Jesus in our behavior starts with knowing we are like Jesus in our spirit. And it's free. This morning we're going to conclude with a celebration of the two faces of grace. I want to ask the leadership to come forward and... uh, As they come forward, we're going to take the bread first and then the wine. So we need about eight guys, eight people that will come up and help. If you feel like you want to help, go for it. And uh, Jared, can you pass me one there, sir, as well as the cup? Awesome. Um, The two faces of grace. The first face of grace has to do with the, the doorway, right? I mean, getting through the doorway, you don't show your resume. Getting through the doorway of salvation, you don't present your accolades. 
getting through the doorway, uh, you might show something to the guy at the door, but it's just going to be a, kind of a, a fact sheet on everything that your Savior has done for you. So when we talk about this bread this morning, we're really talking about uh, Jesus being the bread of life, Jesus being the free gift of life, eternal life, so that nobody can brag about doing anything. Um, what did you do this morning to get this? As it comes down the aisle, it's just a picture or a symbol or a shadow, but I mean, what did you do to get it? Um, all you did was decide you want to take. You didn't present your accomplishments. That would be spitting in the face of Jesus to present your accomplishments. 56% of churchgoers are essentially spitting in the face of Jesus. I hate to say that, but that's just the reality. If we think that our efforts have anything to do with this, then 56% of evangelical Christian churchgoers are spitting on the sacrifice of Jesus. And so what we want to do is we want to have a a wholly different attitude. We want to say this is not of me, but this is for me. This did not come out of me, um, but it's from someone who is not me. And so I'm going to have to be a dependent creature, and I'm going to have to be a humble creature because I'm submitting to a system that I would never invent and never create. Man, if I were going to create a system, right? it'd be all about us if we were going to create a system. But this flies in the face of religion. It flies in the face of world systems because it's not about collecting accomplishments. It's about looking on one accomplishment of someone else. And that might hurt, that might sting, but it's the only way. It stings, it's an assault on the ego, but it's the only way. And when we enter into that doorway through this freeway of grace, what we're realizing is that everything on the inside is free too. Don't stop believing in the free. It's free Jesus. Free Jesus from start to finish. Let's take and let's eat together. Guys, you can come forward and uh, distribute the, uh, the juice as well. Now, in this second element, I guess, um, you know, we're talking about the two faces of grace. And uh, so in these two faces of grace, we've got the second thing, the second face, which is it's not just about the doorway, it's about the experience inside. And I think this might be most appropriate uh, for this group sitting here. That, you know, what I hope you take away today is that that we can survey our emotions, but we need to be surveying the cross. We can survey our recent performance to decide if we deserve an experience, of whatever we think that's going to be. But instead of surveying our performance, we need to be surveying the resurrection. Have you just been, I mean, if you're like me, you just, you just spend, 
useless hours or days, you know, you just spend useless time with the wrong focus. We are suckers for the sales pitch of religion. We are. It's like the default for the flesh. The default setting for the flesh is, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Do you deserve? Do you deserve? Do you deserve? You're only going to get what you deserve. And the gospel is, uh, forget what you deserve. That's laughable. What you deserve is laughable. The only thing you've got is everything that you don't deserve. And that is more than enough. So when you're on aisle seven and you're shopping hard for new feelings, remember, he's given you everything that you need for life and godliness. You are complete in him. You are lacking nothing. Get out of aisle seven. Decide to leave the whole situation and get a brand new focus. As we take and we drink this morning, all we're doing is doing this not to get something, not to shop for something. We're doing this in remembrance of the one who did it all. He did it all for you. Let's drink. As the worship team comes, let's give thanks together. Father, we are grateful. We, uh, we see that the church is hurting. We see that churchgoers, we just don't get it. We see that uh, we're being entertained but not instructed. Uh, we see that we've got programs and principles without understanding the person. Father, uh, the church is, is hurting. You know, your bride... Your bride, those who are born again, we're, we're growing and you've got us in your hand. But there are so many shoppers. There are so many who are on the outskirts of Christianity. They're looking in. They think it's a movement. And it's you. And I just pray, Father, for each person here right now. You know, there may be somebody here that's in the 56%. And they thought they thought it was about their effort. And they've been looking at their... They're smoking or they've been looking at their drinking or they've been looking at their Bible reading or they've been looking at their church attendance and they've been judging their performance. They've been judging themselves. They've got that old time religious attitude of I thought it was about me. I thought it was about me cleaning up my life and then presenting myself to Jesus. Father, we just want to give them an opportunity to just cry out in their heart right now and say, I see that it's you. I thought it was me, but I see that it's you. I thought it was about me, but I see that it's about you. I put my eyes on your son, Jesus Christ. I put my confidence in his blood. I put my assurance in his resurrection. I believe that he died and rose for me. I receive him. Father, most of us, we've passed through the doorway and we're just saying what's inside. Again, Father, I just want to pray for all of us that the eyes of our hearts, the eyes at the core of our being, that you might enable us to see your presence and your power is free. You didn't come to judge every little thing we do. You came to forgive every little thing we do. 
You didn't come to point a bony finger at us and convict, convict, convict so that we wake up and feel bad and feel disqualified. You came to qualify us. Father, we want to confess that we are qualified people. We want to agree with you that you've qualified us for your presence. You've qualified us for your power over sin. We're not going to live out of our feelings. We're going to live out of the simple fact that you love us, that you gave your son for us, and that you're not withholding anything. That you are eager to show yourself to us. Not in a feelings way, but in a knowing. So that we may know that Christ lives in us forever. In his name we pray. Amen. Christian, I know, I know what you've been told. I know you've been told that there's something wrong with you. That you need to be different. That you need to change. That God likes you okay eternally, but you need to change and whip yourself into shape so that you can be presentable to Him. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. If He has created you for good works, what does that say about your nature? If you are intended for good works, what does that say about your heart? Your heart is good. Your heart is trustworthy. God has cleaned house and he's moved in. You are the house of God. Yeah, you've got some pink flamingos in the yard. And those are attitudes and actions and God's renewing our mindsets. But you, you are not what you do. You are not the sum total of your performance. You are a child of God, holy, righteous, blameless. Believe it and live.